2 Corinthians 5, 11-21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning on this first day of 2023. Um, It's always good to gather together to worship the God who has saved us. And I hope you've noticed in the hymns and songs that we sang this morning that we're thanking God for his grace and his mercy. Um, Certainly that last song that we sang at Calvary makes that very clear. But also each one of those songs encouraged us that we are to be lights in a dark world. We are to be sharing that good news. Uh, This morning I forgot those who was lost and many of the people in this room either been lost or are lost. And I I pray, Father, that you would use your Holy Spirit to convict of sin encourage, to instruct where necessary, to rebuke, rebuke, to instruct us in righteousness. May I be your instrument. May the focus be on you. I ask, Father, that you would receive the glory and that you would receive the praise and that we would be more like your son after having spent time in your word this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
in the, gospel, in the uh, passage that was quoted for us, uh, actually JP came up to me just before the, the service. And JP was and, and I knew that and he knew that. And he came up to me and he said, did you know that there's somebody here that had memorized that passage of scripture? Would it be okay if she quoted it? Miss English, you did a fantastic job. And, and when you hide God's word in your heart, that's very good. Uh, as a young person, and even as an adult, I've memorized uh, That word is very helpful. Not only to us, we are encouraged when we see it read and hear it spoken, uh, but it's also used by the Spirit in our own hearts and our own lives. So, Thank you for setting a good example for this morning. There are five therefore statements in this passage that we will be looking at this morning. And on the slide, there's, there are dominoes. Uh, when I was a kid, we didn't often play with dominoes in their intended fashion. We would stack them on the, the narrow edge on a table someplace, and then in just by tapping one of them, they would all just go. I love the videos that I see sometimes on the web. Massive displays are just amazing. <laughs> all that works because one the truth that's in this passage of scripture is very much like that. There are things that are true that when you incorporate them in your life, it'll tap something else in your life and remind you of something. And then it'll tap something else, and that will keep happening as each one of those dominoes, if you will, thing when that happens. Four Gospels. Last night, Cindy and I watched the first episode of the first season of The Chosen. And <laughs> it's a good thing at the beginning they remind you that you should really read God's Word because um, even the titles of some of those uh, episodes caused me to think, oh, it's going to be about this, and it was something different. But the thing that was helpful for me was to see a little bit closer to what it must have been like for Matthew to be um, in the service of Caesar. He would have been an enemy of his people. In fact, if you think of the, the four Gospels, they're all different people. They're all very flawed individual. They weren't really famous. These are unknown people. If, if you know the person, they would have said, oh, I've never heard of that guy. These are not known people. They're, they're obscure. Matthew was hated by most. His first brother tax collectors. Mark was actually a young failure for being a deserter from the ministry. Paul saying, I, I really can't use him anymore. And so he went off with Barnabas. Later, Mark proved himself. He'd been a follower, an apostle, a, a, a participant with Peter. And so he relayed a lot of things in his Jesus. Uh, and none of them brings much to the table. In fact, they bring nothing to the table in reality apart from the work of Jesus. The other thing that I was to 
about Mark, nor does Luke talk about Luke, nor does John talk about Mark, nor does Luke talk about Luke, nor does John talk about John. Now, the only reason this one was written by Mark, this one was written by John. There's teeny tiny clues in there, but nowhere in any of those Gospels, like Paul's letters where he identifies himself, in none of these Gospels does John say, I wrote this. In fact, he kind of tries to hide the fact, if you will, that he wrote it. In, in uh, Matthew's Gospel, he starts by talking about the son of David. That's significant because Matthew was serving Caesar, not the king of the Jews. His allegiance in order to follow Jesus. Mark says he's the son of God. That's how he introduces Jesus. This is the son of God. And Matthew says that too. In fact, in Matthew 1, he says, you'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Each one of the Gospels says this is Christ, this is God. In Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Jesus is identified as the Son of God. Every one of the Gospel, gospel writers is saying, don't look at me, look at God's Son, look at Emmanuel. And of course, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything was made by him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and his light of men. In fact, John goes on to his gospel. He says this, I wrote all this stuff down for one purpose. See Jesus, believe in him, please. In fact, throughout his gospel, he keeps emphasizing believe, believe, trust him. You can trust him. In fact, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Trust him. Trust him. Now, there are some other guys. Um, yeah, so it's not about those guys. Here's some of the Gospels that are sadly prevalent in our world. The first one is the Believe in Yourself Gospel. The first two of these, by the way, are just plain silliness. They're foolishness. The first one says, believe in yourself. In other words, do it yourself. Save yourself. Now, some people choose the path of evolution. That eliminates God. Or atheism, that also eliminates God. Or agnosticism, which says, well, we don't really, can't really know. So that pretty much eliminates God. Or Hinduism, or Islam, or a whole host of other isms. All of them are basically saying, I'll do this on my own. I don't need or want God. Now, they don't totally eliminate the word God from their vocabulary, but in essence, the way they live is by their own good works or by their own good moral standard, uh, which is far more of what's necessary. This one is similar, different. Self-righteous legalism. Those are the Pharisees, the law keepers, people that dressed in their Sunday best, and the rest of the week they don't. It's the people that praise themselves or seek the praise of others. And that's another gospel that's just destined to fail. It's another gospel. Paul said, don't let another gospel come into your thinking. There's only one true gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who preach the gospel, as long as they out that Jesus was the Savior, Paul was satisfied. The next, uh, 
groups, actually. There's the prosperity gospel, and that's basically, I give so that God will give me. I give to get. It works out really good for me. God wants you to be rich. All you have to do is read the book of Proverbs, and you'll find that out. The only problem is you're misreading the book of Proverbs if you come to those conclusions. So the prosperity gospel is just garbage. And a close family member is the health and wealth gospel. Faith will get you everything you want and you deserve. There's a little problem with that gospel, though. Well, there's more than just a little problem. There are a lot of big problems with that gospel. One of which is, how long will faith keep you alive? Not very long, apart from Christ. If your faith is to get healthy for the entire duration of your life, you're going to live forever on this planet, and you're not, and I'm not. So this, this gospel of health and wealth, it comes up short just like the previous ones do. There's only one gospel that is meaningful, lasting, and a perfect solution. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we preach here. That's what we believe here. That's what we hold to. We grab it firmly because it's the only gospel that has any merit that can save, that can solve our problems. As I was studying for this message, and I, I had a lot of time to prepare because I knew well in advance that, you know, typically Jeremy goes to visit family and typically he asks me if I'm, he asks me if I'm willing to preach. So typically on the first Sunday of the new year, I preach. And as I was doing my research, I discovered this gentleman named uh, Rodney Gypsy Smith. I'd never heard of him before. Um, he was uh, raised in a gypsy camp in the UK. At age six, and his dad was not a really good guy. In fact, his dad spent a lot of time in prison. I don't know exactly what his dad was up to, but given the fact that he was raised in a gypsy camp and we all kind of know what gypsies uh, are purported to be like, it probably wasn't a good situation. But at age 16, he came to Christ and he taught himself to read so that he could preach the gospel. You know, the, the, he had a, a high motivation for his desire to learn how to read because he wanted to preach the gospel. He was an evangelist in the UK and the US for 70 years. And one of the things that he said that struck a chord with me was the following. He said there are five Gospels. There's Matthew, there's Mark, there's Luke, there's John, and there's the Christian. Those are the five Gospels. And he said, most people will never read the first four. And I, I can tell you, from my experience in the workplace, from my experience in talking to other individuals who are unchurched people, they haven't, most of them haven't read the Gospels. Most of them might not even be able to identify the names of the four Gospels. But most people read you and read me. The people we rub shoulders with, they read us. I can remember conversations I had at work because people were reading me. 
And they had questions. They thought, that Wayne guy, he's a little bit strange. He's off balance. He's stranger than the rest of us in many regards. And, and it was in a, thankfully it was in a good way, okay? It wasn't that I was just really crazy, although I'm sure some of them thought I was. But people were reading me, and people are reading you. So if somebody were to write a commentary about the gospel of Tom, or the gospel of JP, or the gospel of Wendy, what would that commentary look like? So I went, I grabbed pictures of commentaries, and since there were 12 apostles, if your name's not up here, my apologies, I just picked people at random, and I didn't pick the holiest of the bunch, okay? That wasn't my intention. But I wanted you to be thinking about, as we go through this message, what would it look like if there was a gospel according to Bart? Or a gospel according to Michelle? Or the gospel according to Wayne? I, I didn't exclude myself. I, you know, I want to be fair here. Um, what does that look like? What would the commentary on that look like? So substitutes, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if somebody were to sit down and start to write the gospel according to Loretta, what would that look like? What would that look like? Well, apart from the finished work of Christ, it would be a tragedy. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a tragedy. It can be good news. So let me tell you what the main idea is. And you're probably wondering, Wayne, you spend an awful lot of time laying the groundwork here. Are you ever going to be able to finish this message before it's time for lunch? I, let me assure you, just like Jeremy has done many times before, I've thought carefully about what I'm going to say. Um, my, my, I want us to focus on some really important things, but I felt like I needed to set the stage for us in our thinking before we went too much further. Here's the main idea. Jesus' followers have a changed perspective. They know something, and as a result of knowing something, their perspective has changed, and a set purpose. And by purpose, I mean, that means there are certain things I'm now going to do as a result of having a changed perspective. My perspective has changed, and a purpose has been set as a result of having a changed perspective. So, a follower of Jesus rests in, I can rest in the gospel. That is really good news. And I can declare the gospel. And that's what we want to look at as we look at this passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. There are um, no... Okay, I'm going to look out here and just check. Okay, there are no really big celebrities here. I don't see any celebrities. There are no brave warriors. Now, if you were at one time a Marine or something, okay, I'll give you that. Okay, Because Marines are brave warriors. Right, Larry? Semper Fi. Semper Fi. <laughs> there are no sought-after speakers here. Nobody's beating down the door trying to get any one of us to, to speak in front of a vast audience. There are no sports heroes here. There are some people who think they're sports heroes here, maybe, but they're not. 
There's no exceptionally talented musicians. Now, there are some really good musicians here, and I appreciate what the work that they did. Okay, so I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, you're not the best of the best. There's no authors of top 10 books here. There are no muscular super people here. There are no states people here. There's nobody here that's going to be on Time Magazine's Person of the Year cover. None of you. That's good news, actually. Okay? That means you're ordinary. And you know who God uses? He uses ordinary people. And all you have to do is look at the people that he picked to serve him, to follow him, to know that. So there's three main points to today's message. The first point is we're going to look at the former life. The second part is we're going to have a new perspective. There are certain things that we need to know, and we can see those in today's text. And then there's a new purpose, and this is a response to what we know. So here's the thinking I always use when I'm exploring God's Word. What do I want to know? What's true? What do I want to know? How do I understand that? How do I understand that in relationship to God and in, in my own life, in my own being? And then, what's the wisdom for applying that in life? How do I make that work? Because it's not just to get smarter, theologically smarter. You know, we can all get smarter without having any added value. Let me give you an example. Here's some things I know. I am going to die probably sooner than many of the people in this room, just because I'm old. You know, it's just it's a fact of life. And by the way, God promised that if I sin, I'm going to die. So it's pretty much certain unless Jesus comes and saves me from that event. Here's something else I know. Everything that I have is not mine for very long. I don't get to keep any of it. But somebody else gets it. Probably my kids, my grandkids, and charities that we've described in our will and trust. Here's another reality. There's only two places I can put treasure. Here's another reality. There's only two places I can put treasure. I can put treasure here, or I can put treasure where it lasts. That's a reality. So those are all things I know. But now the wisdom part and the understanding part comes. If indeed I'm going to die, and if all that I have I cannot take with me, and the only treasure that matters is the treasure that I store up above, am I storing the treasure in the right place? And how would I know that? Well, I would look at the way I use my time. I would look at the way I use my treasure. I would look at the way I treat my wife. That's how I would find out how I'm storing up treasure for eternity. So let's look at the form of gospel, and we need to look at chapter 5, and we're going to actually go back before uh, the passage that was quoted for us in chapter 5. And I want us to see three things from our former life. Now, he's not talking about it necessarily in that way, but I think we need to see it in that way. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home... So now, listen for the word tent or body or earthly home as we go through this. 
For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal, mortal being that which is dying, may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. There's some good news. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So let me give you three objects. We used to look at the world around us and we, made, we drew conclusions based on what we saw, not based on faith. It wasn't trusting God, it was what looks good to me, what feels, whatever satisfies the tent. That's not going to last. Those are the things that were in my former life gospel. That was the truth I knew. Even before I knew that Jesus died, was living for me. Now, I was a good, I was a good kid. Now, she said I was a sin, was of how miserable I could have been. I wasn't really that bad. I mean, I, you know, I didn't display all the wickedness that I could potentially display. I was wicked. That was my former life. In fact, John in his first epistle says, um, the things that we want in the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, the pride of those are all things that are visible. Those are all things that we look at with the vision of living by sight, not by faith. That's the former life. The new life is a life of faith. Seeing life through God's promises. Notice also that tent life is temporary. Well, I'm sure there are some people who think living is a permanent virtue of where they live in the world, live in tents. But nobody ah, let's just camp out all winter. That would be just delightful. If, if there's anybody here that's that crazy, I'd love to talk to you after the service. That just seems crazy to me. And, and that life uh, of, you know what, if this is all there is, if this tent is all there is, eat, drink, and be merry. And the third thing is that Pleasing myself is not fulfilling, but I thought it was. That's why it says in verse 9, whether we are at home, that is, right here in the tent, or away in the permanent dwelling that God is, God is preparing, we make our aim to please Him. See, my thinking before coming to Christ pleased me. Mom me, everybody please me, then I'm pleased. Okay? Now, I no longer live by sight, but I live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. And that's 
that is in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Notice in verse 11, Therefore, the Lord we persuade others. In other words, Paul says, I now understand as a Pharisee, I was not serving the Lord. I thought I was out. I thought I was a good sinner having the a very good thing. It's a very helpful thing. When I thought I was good, I was heading down a path for destruction. Is this? I really understand that God is the Creator and the Judge and the King of Kings, and He's the Lord of Lords, and His word stands. And when He says something, it's going to happen. He's He's true to His promise. You can bank on it. You can. So that's a perspective, a totally new perspective for me. Number two, he died for me. Look at verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have lived for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's a new perspective. He came, he left the throne room of heaven. He left the messed up world that he didn't mess up and lived a perfect life so that he could die and be a perfect sacrifice. That's a, that's a new perspective. My new perspective, I deserve to die. He died in my place. That's a wonderful perspective, actually. That's, that's what the perspective we grace and mercy, salvation because of our God. At Calvary, years I spent in now years, you know, that's not, for some of you, maybe it was 50 years. For me, it was about 10 and a half years, 11 years. It's still years. Even if you come to Christ when you're four or five, years you spent in vanity and pride. I don't know of anybody that came to one year old. I suppose that's possible. I don't want to look up the spirit, but I suspect that no one has done it in less than years. He died for me. Here's something else that we can see in, in this passage. Verse 16. From now on, in verse 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard no longer. When we regard people according to the flesh, we say, oh, Rob looks pretty good. He must be a good guy. Or he must be good. That's regarding people that are Rob's a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're broken images. Apart from the work of God who is making new visions in Christ. The image of God. God created man and God created woman image. We are image bearers. We don't need statues in this church that illustrate who God is. We're right here. We have the illustration. Can't get a better illustration as long as it's becoming people are broken. So that's a perspective I need that don't have change some things. God doesn't say, well, I hope they figure it out. He doesn't do that. 
He's got an urgency. All this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. God seeks reconciliation. Let's stop. So we can let go of that. That's unnecessary baggage in the whole process of being God's messenger. And there's one other important thing. Through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. This is what it says to me as the ambassador takes the message of the sending king or president or prime minister. By the things that are important to you, by the people that are important to you, you are a gospel. I am a gospel. That's the perspective. We need a new perspective. Amnesia, that's just Wayne's forgetfulness for not putting that on his to-do list and taking care of it. But here's what Paul said in your home country. You're, but you're elect. You're living stones. You're not just ordinary stones. You're living. Peter said, or Jesus told Peter, uh, you're going to be a stone that I'm going to use in building my church. You're a holy priesthood. You're a priest. Let that sink in for a second. Spiritual house. You're not just a tent anymore. You're a spiritual house of the Holy Spirit. You're a chosen race. God chose you. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. He chose you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for God's possession. You're sojourners, and you are in Christ. That's a perspective that we should start every day with. What's the new Knowledge leads to response, which leads to action. The first one is in verse this. The last thing I should be doing is, ah, I think I'll wait on that. Or maybe, maybe I will, maybe I won't. No, if the Holy Spirit says, do this, Jesus. Verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, who for theirs is my priorities, my goals, New Year's resolutions. I don't, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. Who deserves life? Who deserves forgiveness? Who is worthy to be made righteous? No one. Those in the flesh are destined to die, and tomorrow is not an option. Today is the day of salvation. If you do not know Christ and you are here or listening via the Internet, the only hope you have is to be in Christ. And hopefully somebody's praying for you that you would come to Christ. Notice that the message is deemed important because of the one who's giving it. It's from God. That's what it says in verses 17 through 19. I was a signalman in the Navy back in the dark ages. And so I could communicate with another ship, or I could run flags up the yardarm, and those flags meant something to other signalmen. Didn't mean much to anybody else most of the time. But you know where I got every message? I didn't make up any 
There was a guy just below me. Okay, the signalman. The one nice thing about being a signalman is you're on the highest spot of the ship because you got to be able to be... Because every message that I ever sent came from the bridge. Every message I ever sent came from the captain or the captain's appointed guy that's in charge of the bridge when the captain is sleeping. I never made up the message. And that's the way it is with you and me. We don't get to make up the message. The message is very important because the message is from God. In fact, we sang this morning at Calvary. And as a reminder, I, I, I just have to read this to you. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not that it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, when I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. That's a good news message. That's a message worth sharing. That's an important, an important message. That's a message from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he said, I want you to be the, the, the person that delivers the message. He could have sent 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He said, I send you. Go, make disciples. And then finally, Paul says, I appeal to others for God, verse 20. And so that takes us back full circle to John chapter 20, verse 31, where it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe. Take the knowledge, believe it. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life Life is different because of Jesus. Let's go. Many contemporary religions and but the call worthy of the gospel of Christ. There was a poem written that was attributed to the gospel according to you. If you have the right perspective, then your purpose and my purpose will change. It will change everything about our lives.